Dan Fagella, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. We've covered a lot of artificial intelligence financial services use cases over the years. In fact, we have an entirely other podcast called AI in Financial Services. If you're on iTunes or you're on SoundCloud, go search AI in Financial Services and you'll find us there as well. Our own AI opportunity landscape research here at Emerge shows that there's hardly any use case in financial services as broadly used as fraud detection. Really natural fit for machine learning, really important use cases for various kinds of financial services organizations. And we've interviewed probably close to a dozen vendors in the AI and fraud space over the course of the last two to three years. But what about an enterprise perspective? And what about an enterprise perspective from one of the enterprises that arguably sees more fraud and has to detect more fraud than maybe close to any other financial services firm in the United States, and that's American Express. Amex is one of the most popular and powerful credit card companies in the world, and our guest this week is the VP of Machine Learning Research at Amex, Dr. Dmitry Efimov. Dmitry speaks with us about the evolution of AI for credit card fraud. How did things begin? How have they been evolving? And where is it really headed? What's the future where credit card companies can stay ahead of fraudsters for the long term? That's the kind of vision we start to paint in this week's episode. And I think a bit of the history that Dmitry paints is also awful useful for folks interested in the context on how these kinds of ML applications have gradually evolved in business. If you're interested in other AI use cases in financial services, be sure to download our AI and financial services cheat sheet. You can find that at emerj.com slash F-I-N and then the number one. So F-I-N is in financial. So emerj.com slash F-I-N one. That's our AI and financial services cheat sheet. If you want a quick reference guide of glossary terms, as well as trends and key use cases in financial services, that's probably the quickest way to a quick synopsis. And it's a nice handy PDF resource that you can use to make the most of your experience here in the podcast and hopefully continuing to learn with us here at Emerge. So check out emerj.com slash F-I-N-1. Without further ado, we're going to fly into this episode. This is Dr. Dimitri with American Express here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Dimitri, I want to dive into the topic of kind of credit card fraud. Obviously, American Express, one of the biggest, best known kind of credit card firms sort of globally, certainly here in the States as well. I use you guys. I want to talk first about the process itself. Why is this such a big business issue? Maybe some of the listeners aren't really aware of how, how big of an issue this is. And how is it handled kind of in the pre-AI era? Maybe you could tee that up for us first. Okay. So first of all, I would like to start from basic principle of American Express business. And in fact, the basic principle is that having our card members back is our top priority. And actually keeping our fraud rates low is the key to achieving this goal. So this is the first thesis that I would like to bring up. In fact, I can tell that the fraud, before I, I, I jump into the answer of the question that you, you asked, I can tell that the fraud model within American Express is one of the most advanced in the industry. And going back to the question you asked, like what, what happened before you know machine learning or AI era and yeah. uh, what happened before? In fact, there was machine learning for probably already more than 50 years. It's just the technique that was that time is not so advanced. But I would like to share my vision on machine learning and, you know, how, how I understand what is machine learning and how I think it should be used for business purposes. So basically, the idea is many people just say, okay, this is machine learning algorithm. Let's just use it for, you know, some specific uh, day, for some specific data or some specific task within our company, right? 
But actually, it's not correct way. The first question you should ask is, what is the specific business question you want to answer? And here the example for fraud. Let's say, uh, let's take example for fraud risk within American Express. The first question uh, we want to ask, like how we can help our customers and how we want to improve the customer experience and reduce fraud risk for them. And in fact, even if you go deeper in this question, we could split it in different type of questions. We can ask, for example, ourselves, how we can decrease the fraud rate on the transactional level? And in this case, the model becomes on the transactional level. So we want to predict what is the probability of fraud for each transaction. And then actually machine learning problem becomes completely different. Another question we can ask could be, can we predict for on the customer level if fraud appears for the specific customer in the, in the customer history? And in this case, actually, the machine learning models becomes very different. So that's why, in fact, all the time when you work on machine learning problem, you should first start on the question, what business problem you want to solve? Yeah, so, so many ideas are bubbling up here as you're talking. <laughs> I just want to clarify this for the listeners. I like this way of thinking. It's cool that you're kind of teeing up the way that you go through it. Obviously, you're on the research side, but you, you've got to bring this stuff into real life. You know, what question are we trying to solve? You know, obviously, beginning with the problem in mind is, is something that often kind of doesn't happen with AI, right? But like, well, let's use AI somewhere. Very silly way to approach business. You mentioned, is this transaction fraud? That's a question that makes sense for me. When I think about credit card fraud, I mean, we've had people on from you name, I mean, you know, Capital One, whatever. You know, is this transaction fraud? Sure, it makes sense. You also just brought up, is there any fraud on this customer's account? In other words, if we go through all of their transactions, how likely is this? Have they been a victim of fraud at, at some point in their customer history? I wouldn't have even thought of that question because I'm not quite sure why it's relevant. What are that set of questions? So we're talking about credit card fraud. You're the fellow who's living this life. What are those set of questions that are critical for you and why? I and mean, this is fascinating. I'll tell a very simple example of why it's very important. And in fact, this, this example is very interesting. Imagine there are two different types of customers, right? One customer travels a lot. And basically, the spend of this customer varies from, you know, different places, right? And that's why what we can look at, we can take a look and see, okay, let's say these customers spend, let's say, in UK, right? And after that, in two, three hours, he or she spent in somewhere, you know, in another country in Europe, or in 10 hours, he or she spent in, in US. And this is completely different behavior compared to, let's say, spent within one country. So that's why it's very important to understand what you want to look at from the customer, you know, behavior point of view. And again, it helps us to decrease fraud rate because we can segment, we can understand who are travelers, for example, among our customers. And then based on that, we can create much stronger features. For example, we can see on some features about this, you know, like, like, is it real situation that, let's say, customers spent first in UK and, let's say, in three hours in US? Maybe it's not real situation, right? Maybe the second transaction is fraudulent. So that's why this is extremely important to ask this business question that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, and, and I'm sure if somebody went on Google, they could they could figure out how much credit card fraud happens in a given year. And I imagine only a percentage of it is ever caught. And the numbers are probably, you know, staggering. I don't know. It might not, you know, maybe it's not a trillion dollars, but it's certainly enough billions where it's serious. And of course, for you folks, that might mean losing a customer. You know, that might mean 
upsetting somebody's business flows, upsetting somebody's experience with you. And, and so those are consequential. So clearly there's a business relevance here. And just to kind of tie it back to the questions you had mentioned, is this transaction fraud? That was a question you said, okay, we should answer. Has this account ever had any fraud? That That's interesting. You're now talking about about segments. Like when, when you think about credit card fraud, my thought was, yes, we might look at clusters. Okay. You know, business owners who, I don't know how you guys break it down, but you know, business owners who don't travel much in, you know, the Southwest or something, and maybe that's a group okay, or, or folks in specific industries or different geo regions, or you'd break it out however you want. But my thought is those roll up to just one question, which is, is this transaction fraud or not? But it sounds like there's more umbrella questions than that when it comes to picking up on credit card fraud. What are those other big picture ones? Because I thought, okay, we're going to seg it and then we're going to figure out give this transaction, yes or no. But it sounds like maybe there's a bigger topic here. Again, if you go too high, right, on the high level, as I mentioned, the most important thing, as you correctly before that, most important thing is to reduce fraud rate. But together with that, we don't want to interrupt, you know, customer experience. We don't want to, to interrupt this, you know, customer business and so on. That's the most important question for American Express. And after that, we go on the next level, how we approach this problem. Of course, the most important question for us here is the transactional fraud. But again, we can approach this problem in very different ways. In fact, for our production purpose, our model, this is the, I think this is the biggest model within American Express. This is a fraud model. In fact, in a few months, we launched the 10th generation of that model. There was already nine different generations of the Sheesh. model. So this is generation 10 of the model with, uh, I don't know, several hundreds of features that track different kind of behavior. But what's more interesting that we put this initial question is for us, for us, actually, initial question was, what is the transactional fraud and how we can uh, predict the transactional fraud? But, you know, asking this small question is how we approach this problem. Should we approach that from the transactional point of view or should we approach that from the customer point of view? After that, we came up with this final model that actually can catch a lot of different types of behavior. So this is the long process. <laughs> Hopefully, I do not confuse you, but starting from the beginning to the end, this is long path. Actually, it took for us like about 10 years to come up with this model. So many iterations. And I imagine also that model probably gets manifested in, in different different forms with different groups of People, I would presume, right? If if I'm if I'm a new Amex customer, you know, I I, I buy an old used bookstore in Missouri or something, and not not the best business to be in today. But uh, let's just say hypothetically, you know, 2019, I did that. I get I get an Amex card somehow. Maybe I'm I'm just a different person, and I'm the, certain features are not going to be as important for me as they are for you know the banking executive who is just whacking bottles of champagne in in airplanes trying to you know, recruit the next, you know, director of X or, you know, convince the next customer of Y or something like that. That's a just a really different person. So it feels like this big model has to have splintered permutations for whatever geo industry, you know, personal demographic slices that you guys decide you want to carve out. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that's completely correct. And in fact, in my opinion, this is the beauty of machine learning. I mean, before uh, 2000, I think, 14, actually, we, we relied, our fraud model was relied mostly on logistic regression. And the biggest difference between our current approach, which is decision, decision tree-based approach, and the old approach is that before, earlier, we had to split customers. We had to understand what are the segments we should 
train our model. And actually, we train many, many small logistic regression models to predict each segment separately. But now, when the technology becomes much more advanced, we have single model. In fact, I can, I can tell even more. Now we have single model for international and U.S. market. So basically, we combine all together, and the model can identify automatically. It can automatically identify the segments and, you know, like specify, for example, some segment which is different from overall data and make prediction based on only features for that segment. Huh. So, all right, this is well, this is really cool. And I imagine this conversation gets very technical very quick, but you and I are keeping it at a business level, which is great because you're not going to lose me here or anybody in the audience. But I think conceptually, this is neat to see how these statistical methods have evolved so drastically at American Express. Obviously, you know, you guys are big enough to have some tremendous talent over there, so you're moving quick. You've got a giant aggregate model, almost surprising to me, that can sort of you know, discern and determine who goes where. Now, maybe t- tell me if I'm right or wrong about this. I might imagine in the old days, we would have to have subject matter experts and statisticians and whoever come in and then define what groups do we believe or have we seen have similar patterns of fraud and then we want to train individual models. And that's probably, that's a very strategic conversation. It's going to end up allocating tremendous resources to these individual clusters. And we, we hope those clusters hold and that they don't shift over time too much. There's that. But it would seem as though maybe what you're saying is that now the model is maybe doing some of the clustering. So who has common purchase behavior, common fraud behavior? And then when we see a transaction, it's just saying, okay, this transaction and this account is similar to this, and we're going to run this permutation of features and weights on it. Like, is that sort of what's able to happen at this point? Exactly. That's what happened. And in fact, we can control it in a way. I mean, I can add additionally to what you said, because I probably the next question would be, how we can control it, like why, why we rely only on the model, right? And actually, there is the way to control it. In fact, we do a lot of case studies. For example, we analyze, we track our model, we see how it works in real time. And after we see how can we improve it. And just again, you're going back to this simple example of this, you know, that's distance between the span, right? Consequence span. We can add this information as a feature to the model. And when we add it as a feature, the model you know, becomes more accurate. It will rely on this specific segment. And in fact, if you, if you go a little bit, a little bit uh, more technical, probably most of people know what is decision tree. Decision tree built based on, you know, a set of features, just split the data based on some criteria. So basically, this is how model works. Uh, the only difference that, you know, we have like thousands of decision trees and it will run and, and get prediction automatically. Got it. Okay, cool. So this is a little bit of an evolution of how things have gone. Now, just conceptually for the people tuned in, you know, my understanding of this space is that there's certain instances that there's two things I want to fact check with you as kind of presumptions from previous interviews and, and my own research in this space. One is is that ultimately we've we've got to do the best job we can at really knowing for sure when something is fraud because that will then become something that we use to feed the model again. Hey, this was an actual instance, right? As opposed to like, well, we felt pretty confident. Let's train the model off what we're pretty confident with. Now we're going to start drifting to whatever the algorithm is starting to lean towards anyway. So there's a feedback loop element, which maybe you could go into in a bit. But the other thing is that is interesting for me, at what point does this model literally let the transaction go through or not let the transaction go through? And then at what point does it go to humans or some other system where we manually can kind of thumbs up and thumbs down. My thought is that this is a confidence gradient. You know, beyond 85% confidence in, in this being fraud, we say no if it's above 
this dollar amount and you know in this country or something. Maybe those rules are very different. And then the same thing with uh, if it's less than ten percent fraud or whatever, we just let it go. But there's there's a middle gradient where maybe there's some auditing and then there's some labeling and then that gets fed in. Let's talk about that second point. You know, how granular do you have to get about when this model is going to act, so to speak? That's a bad way of saying it, but you know what I mean. Versus when it's going to inform a human decision. What are, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, basically, you have two questions now. First question was about the, how we know that the labels we are using for the for the model are correct, yes. right? Uh, and the second question is that how we make decisions based on the model. Yes. And I can, I can start from the second question. Again, this is a very difficult question. And in general, I, I think this is what you start from when you, you know, when you want to solve any business problem using machine learning. And this is going back to, to, you know, uh, start of our conversation. Yeah. So it's not just, okay, let's, just, let's, let's build a model, get the score and that's it. Everything done. No question. How are you going to use the score? And in fact, the model produced some score, for example, 0.6, right? Well, some probability between zero to one. And in this case, this is extremely important question of how you're going to use it in the production. And in fact, I can tell you within American Express, we have separate big department that we call strategy department within credit and fraud risk. And actually, this department is responsible for these kind of decisions. So basically, what they are doing, they, are, they do not build the model. They just take the model from decision science, which is the organization responsible for building the model within American Express. And after that, first of all, does very, you know, throughout analysis to, you know, to understand if this score makes sense. And of course, the final goal that the perfect ideal situation when let's say we have this score and after that, based on that score, we say, okay, if score greater than zero point, I don't know, eight, let's just stop the transaction. Or if it's less than zero eight, let's not stop the transaction. Unfortunately, this is not the case because again, going back to what is our priority, priority is our customer experience. And we understand that in fact, we are not on the level when, you know, we can let our model to decide everything. Maybe in the future, you know, that would be great if you, if you have it in the future. But uh, now we are not on that stage. Our model is very accurate. It's best in the world, but it's not the perfect model. I mean, there are a lot of opportunities. So that's why the strategy team actually decides. So after this analysis, they decide how to use the score in some business rules. And actually, based on these business rules, and there are, I can tell you there's not just one business rule, there are a lot, like thousand business rules for different cases. And based on these business rules, there is final decision. And what's more important, they constantly tracking these decisions. They, they work with customers. They address some, for example, if there is some complaint or if customer satisfies. That's very important. That's very important part. I can tell you that uh, strategy team probably two or three times bigger than decision science team within American Express. And again, it's coming from the, our main objective. Our main objective is to make sure that our customers are happy. Yeah. Let me know if I'm not shelling this right, Dimitri. This is really important. You're, you're bringing up what this stuff looks like in the real world, which is what our listeners absolutely listen to this show for. So just to verify a couple things here. So one is that the process of what do we do with the output of this model is a very complicated answer. It's, it's sort of like, well, it's going to depend on the situation. We have to have a whole team that decides, you know, it's not just because like you said, yeah, oh, we have a model and you know what? 
It's able to flag fraud way better than any individual human, way better than any team of 2,000 humans. Okay, that's great. We just solved our problem. No, where does it come in? Where does it inform action? Where does it not inform action? Is it just going to be a little score on the top right-hand screen of, of a fraud analyst, and then that fraud analyst is going to use that to inform their intuition? Or is it going to actually maybe trigger some follow-up investigations? Is it going to only trigger those investigations above a certain dollar value for certain geo regions and certain cohorts of customers? All those trees, or you talked about decision trees, all the decision trees of humans, not machines, how they're going to take those inputs, you got to think through all that. And that, that sounds like it's damn well complicated. That's completely correct. I can add additionally to what I said that our goal, of course, to you know make this process very automatic, as much automatic as we can. Yeah. And in fact, we already reached a lot of success in that. There are a lot of situations when, you know, model just decides everything automatically. So basically, we just have one rule, and this rule applies. And after that, we see if it's fraud, then we stop the transaction. If it's not fraud, we don't stop, right? So just there are some thresholds. But very often, that's the case now, the specialists, you know, the people from strategy team, they should they should be involved, of course. That's very important. Yeah. And the fact that that strategy routine is required is something that I think people often don't presume when they say, Oh, we could do something with AI, right? They're unaware that there's going to have to be all these other considerations. Last little question, we'll end on this, is any of your thoughts around where this is headed? So in the future, fraud models will hopefully be even better. We'll, we'll have an even better, you know, lower false positives, lower false negatives. You know, more of the things that really are fraud are going to get called out. More of the things that are not fraud are not going to get flagged as fraud. What is it going to take to evolve? You know, you, you talked about logistic regression to where you are now. Where does this whole wave have to go, Dimitri, to take yeah. us to the next level in the next five years? That's a good question. I, I think this, this is a very, very interesting question. And I think that there's no just single answer for that question. There are several answers. I can tell you at least two directions that we follow up now. And one direction actually is we call it self-learning model. And this is very interesting part because now... Uh, within decision science, in case if you want to update the model, let's say we observe some new fraud patterns that are not involved in the current production model, right? So what we need to do, we need to take the new data, train new model, and run it in production. And there are a lot of work should be done in this direction, right? Because like people should take this data, do this analysis, train the model. So one direction that we really want to achieve in the future is to have self-learning model. And actually, we already, that's interesting thing that we already have one self-learning model in fraud. And actually, this model trained itself every week. So that's very interesting, very interesting model. So basically, it takes new data and it keeps training automatically. And after that, it, you know, runs itself in production. This is a model which is based on neural networks. But this is, of course, not the main model. This is additional model, but we have already started these experiments. This is one thing. The second thing, which is the second direction, which is very interesting for us, I did not mention that uh, at the beginning, but actually I can tell you that American Express has unique data. I can tell you, uh, I have a lot of experience in, in machine learning. I solved more than a like hundred different problems from different areas. And uh, I know that data that are available at American Express are very unique because we have, first of all, two sites. So we have customer information we also have merchant information yeah yeah and the the uniqueness is because we can combine this information together and create very powerful features 
And another thing that our data contain transactional information, which means that we have time time related components. And that's why it's extremely important to understand how we can use this sequential information automatically in the model. For example, let's say if you look at 10 last transactions for the customer, and we know that there is no any fraudulent transaction. Question, what is the probability that the next transaction will be fraudulent? Basically, can we leverage this information somehow automatically without you know building the features, just feed these transactions to the model and get predictions automatically? So this is another direction. This is we work a lot. Huh. So avoid this feature in manual feature engineering that we in fact we do a lot. Yeah. Okay, so it sounds like there's multiple what you're saying is there's no answer. There's a couple paradigms that we're going to use to compete against the existing paradigm and we're just going to see where they where those two work and we're just going to have to evolve as things go. Exactly. But yes. yeah, this is cool. We've looked a little bit into the future and you guys again are about as far ahead as it gets when it comes to this stuff. So it's been cool to to get a little perspective. I know that's all we had for time for this episode. Dimitri, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you everybody. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It's now called Apple Podcast. We've got a couple really good reviews. We broke 100 reviews not that long ago, and uh, we're always happy to see new responses from folks who listen to the show. And it's also feedback that we can use to help improve the program. As I've mentioned a bunch of times, this twice-a-week format that we're doing now is actually based on feedback from listeners like you. So we appreciate your ideas. We hope to continue to collaborate with you and coming up with kind of better and better podcast topics and themes and trends to pick up on. So leave what you like most on a five-star review on iTunes. That's just the AI and Business Podcast. You can search under Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer, but certainly iTunes is the one that most folks pay attention to. It helps us a lot. It's also the one that I monitor every single week, so I'm darn well going to see what you write. And also, in case you haven't noticed, we featured some of our kind uh, reviews of the podcast in some of our newsletters. So you might see yourself featured there if you drop us a review. So feel free to leave us one there. And if you're not already also connected on social, be sure to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. It's just Emerge on Twitter or uh, Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research on LinkedIn or on Facebook. That's all for this episode. We'll be catching you on Thursday for our Making the Business Case episode here on the AI and Business Podcast.